We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for the opportunity that you've given us to gather this evening as your people. We thank you that you have been merciful to us to grant that while we long for Jerusalem, our happy home, we are still preserved in this alien land. We thank you for keeping us and we pray now that as we consider some pertinent issues about our eternity, that we would be we would be well taught, we would be strengthened to continue waiting for the return of Christ and that you may be glorified in our gatherings. May you warm our fellowship with the discussions that we will have. May you bless our uh, engagements, all our conversations. May they be fruitful to the praise and glory of your name. Uh, please come and be with your people now as we uh, as we uh, practice not neglecting the gathering of the saints. For these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please turn to chapter 31 of the Confession. We come to these two last chapters of the Confession, chapter 31 and 32, having finished the uh, having finished chapters 21 to 30, which give us the divine institutions that God gives. God has given the institution of the conscience and the liberty of uh, the Christian. And then he's given the institution of uh, worship, religious worship and the Sabbath day. Then God has given the institution of the civil magistrates, then he's given the institution of marriage, and we've just now finished considering the institution of the church. Now we come to the last two chapters which deal with the matter of the intermediate state and the uh, resurrection life and the matter of the day of judgment. So in chapter 31, we have the matter of the intermediate state and the resurrection of the dead and then in chapter 32 we have the matter of the judgment day so we will begin with uh, chapter 31 which deals with the uh, intermediate state and the resurrection of the dead now these last two chapters that we are considering are uh, referred to in terms of doctrine as the doctrine of the last things. So we will be considering the doctrine of the last things in these last two chapters. Uh, and we will begin with the matter of the intermediate state and the resurrection of the dead. So chapter 31. Paragraph 1. The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous being then made perfect in holiness uh, are received into paradise, where they are with Christ and behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption 
of their bodies. The souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places, for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledgeth none. Again, the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into paradise, where they are with Christ and behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies and the souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torment and utter darkness reserved to the judgment of the great day besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies the scripture acknowledgeth none <clears throat> there are a couple of things that we have here like like us to look at them in terms of questions so like us to ask uh, what happens when people die that's the first question that we will deal with what happens when people die and then number two like us to ask where do christians go when they die where do christians go when they die and then I'd like us to ask, where do non-Christians go when they die? And then lastly, I'd like us to ask, is there any other place that people go when they die apart from heaven or hell? Is there any other place that people go when they die apart from heaven or hell? So let's begin with the first question there. What happens to people when they die what happens to people when they die this we have in the first statement there the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption but their souls which neither die nor sleep have an immortal subsistence immediately return having an immortal subsistence immediately return to god who gave them okay so so what we have there um in the first place we are told like you to observe that a human being has two parts uh, a human being is consisted of a body and a soul so what you have there is you're told the bodies of men after death return to dust and then you're told of their souls but their souls which neither die nor sleep having an immortal subsistence immediately return to god who gave them and so, uh, man is not comprised of many parts or three parts. We believe that 
uh, that uh, human beings are comprised of two parts what we call a dichotomy so as opposed to trichotomy we are people who believe that uh, human beings are comprised of what and what and what body soul and spirit so we have people who believe that that a human being is comprised of a body a soul and a spirit but what we see in the uh, first book of the bible the first chapters when god is creating man is that god makes adam from the dust of the ground and then uh, let me request that someone uh, keeps watch over the children so that I don't have to be distracted every time I'm speaking. Okay, so I was saying that um, in the first, first book of the Bible, first chapters, chapter 2 to be specific of genesis we are told that when god created created uh, adam he formed him from the dust of the ground and then adam was not a living being until god breathed into his life the breath of life and that breath of life is what we call a soul so a man really is comprised of two parts a body and a soul. What the people uh, call the mind or distinguish as the mind uh, was there in Adam when God created him. Uh, God created Abra, uh, sorry, Adam with everything that he needed, even a mind. And then he breathed into him the breath of life. Now what people call the spirit uh, uh, as we consider the scriptures, we see the spirit and the soul uh, being uh, the, the, those, those two words are used interchangeably so that uh, the soul might as well be the spirit. Now when uh, when we read in the book of First uh, Thessalonians where the Apostle Paul talks of uh, a body, a soul, and a spirit, uh, what we have there is a matter of emphasis. So that the Apostle Paul is not, is not going to give us, go with me to First Thessalonians, is not giving us a, a doctrine of how God created men. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Then we have verse 23. Someone read for us verse 23. First Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what the Apostle Paul is doing there is that he is, he is emphasizing that everything that is within us uh, should be 
kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know this? We know this because um, Jesus says that we are to love the Lord our God with what? With? With our mind? Mm-hmm. Our heart? Our soul? Our might? Our strength? So, can that possibly mean that we have four parts? That we have might, we have a soul, we have a heart, and we have a mind? Not quite. What Jesus is emphasizing is that when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, is that he is emphasizing that we are to love God with everything that is within us. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here, that uh, God may sanctify his people, the Thessalonians, with... uh, 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 that their whole spirit, soul, and body may be kept blameless until Jesus Christ comes. That their, their whole being really may be kept blameless. So what we have in the confession there, at the beginning of this paragraph, is uh, an acknowledgement that a man is uh, comprised of two parts, a body and a soul. Now we see there, uh, what happens to people when they die? We are told that the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. So when, when people die, because they have two parts, one of their parts, which is the body, returns to dust. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall. We, we are given the account of the fall. The serpent comes to to the woman, deceives her, and then the woman gives the fruit to to her husband who is there with her, and he eats. And you are told that they sin. When God comes, he is asking them, what have you done? Now, in verse 17, we are given the curses of Adam, the curse that Adam was given. Genesis 3:17 and to Adam he said because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you you shall not eat of it cast is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field now verse 19 is what we are given there in the confession by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread Till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, God tells Adam, and to dust you shall return. So when a man dies, part of his life, which is his body, goes to the ground. Uh, the Bible says here that we are dust and we return to dust. Now we know that we are dust because. Uh, when God tells Adam, you, you are dust, he's not insulting him. He's telling him of the essence of the ground you were made. That's, that's what he has just told him there. For out of it, out of the ground, you are taken. And so the bodies of, of people go to the ground. And that's why then when, we, when people die, we lay their bodies in the ground six feet under. Then we are given there Acts chapter 13. 
Acts chapter 13 and verse 36. Someone read for us Acts 13 from verse 26 to verse 36. Acts 13, 26 to 36. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Mm. So you see there that um, uh, when the confession says that the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, what it means is that their bodies, uh, when they die, when, when people die, the bodies are, they return to the ground, they're put down, and it is there that they see corruption. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ never saw corruption as we are given here, and in Acts chapter 2 as well, when Peter preaches the first sermon, he says the same thing. He never sees corruption because while he is laid there, he does not stay there. He comes out of the grave. He overcomes death. Now in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 20, we are told, All go to one place. All are from the dust. And to dust, all return. And this is a, a reference to you know, how God made... Adam there in Genesis and the preacher says that everyone is from uh, from one place and to one place all people return and then we are given yes I think that's 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 it so the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption then the second thing that we have there the souls the souls of people, what happens to people when they die? Their bodies go to the ground. And their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. 
So while we lay the body to the ground, the soul goes back to God who made it. It will there return to it returns to God who gave it to them. Uh, when he says immediately return to God who gave them, it's it's as though to say it returns to God who gave it to them. So God is the one that grants life. He gives body, he gives soul, and the soul, uh, the, the body, God, say, God says, it goes back to where it came from, to the dust, and the soul goes back to him, him who, who gave it. Here we have Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Let's open uh, to the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a book that we've already considered in our sermons um, from beginning to end. So you'll be familiar with this, uh, with this text. Someone read for us 12, 6, 6 to 7. Now, notice, notice there that the soul is referred to as the spirit. And that, that's what I was telling you, that the, the, the term soul and the term spirit are used interchangeably in the scriptures. So that we're told there that um, the dust returns to the earth as it was. And this is, uh, you remember that the preacher is here talking about the youth, the youth who becomes old and the things that were pl- pleasurable to him when he was a youth are now no longer pleasing to him he now no longer wants them he, he no longer has the energy to do them and then now he's coming to a, a, a time when he's going to die and we are told that his body uh, the dust returns to the earth as it was and then the spirit returns to God who gave it we have every reason to believe that spirit and soul are used interchangeably because of the way the Bible, the Bible uses them so this, this has implications. And the implications are that the soul, the soul does not sleep. Who teaches that the soul sleeps? Which cult do you think teaches that? Yes? That the soul sleeps? SDAs. It's the Seventh-day Adventists and the Jehovah's Witnesses. They claim that when we die, our bodies go to the ground and then our souls sleep, <laughs> whatever sleeping means. Uh, it's as though our souls ziko in limbo. Yeah? It's as though they were active and then they, 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 they were deactivated or they became dormant. Um, but then what we see from the scriptures, at least here, and as we're going to see in in, in, the, in, the, in the next sentences is that the soul goes back to God. It goes back to God who gave it, the maker. So that the thing that actually sleeps when we die is the body. And really the reference to sleeping in the scriptures is, a, is, is an equivocation of the sleeping that we do when we are asleep and death so that sleeping in the scriptures is equal to death now 
What instance do you know in the Bible that uh, Jesus speaks of a person being dead as being asleep? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which, which other? So you have Lazarus, yes? Jairus' daughter. Now, it's very interesting that Jesus refers to her as sleeping, but she's actually dead. And one of the reasons why the people laugh at him when he says that he's asleep, he's asleep or she's asleep, is because they, they're not understanding what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus is saying is that being dead is like being asleep, in the sense that at one point, the bodies will be resurrected. The same way we go to sleep, at one point, we wake up, right? That's how Jesus uses sleeping, equating it to death, or, or equating death to sleep. And so, um, uh, the, the, so the, way, the way death is equated to sleep, then we're going to wake up. The way we wake up after sleeping is the way we will wake up, so to speak, rising from the dead. So the soul does not sleep. The soul is immortal. Now, the soul is not immortal in the sense that God is immortal, because God is immortal in the sense that he does not have a beginning and he does not have an end. The soul is immortal by the virtue of it living forever, but it had a beginning where God made it. And so, uh, having been created by God, the soul will live for all eternity. There is there's not one point that, that comes when the soul, at the equal to, it's, it's not active it's there not quite the soul of man lives forever um is there any question or comment thus far before we continue yes uh, they do what they burn them or they cremate uh-huh. Well, you could say, well, as Christians, we don't believe that we should burn the body. But then, because, I mean, the scriptures do not grant that we burn the body. Now, you remember last, as we were going through the whole matter of the Lord's Supper, we were saying constantly that we do what the scripture says. If the scripture says we use bread, we don't use ugali. We use bread. So where the scriptures are clear what we should do, that's what we should do. If we see people burying, especially the people of God, burying the dead, that's what we should do also. And so, now, it may not be evil, you know, or heinous, a wickedness of some sorts, but then, it's unbiblical. Isn't you? And you understand what I mean when I say it's, it, it is unbiblical. So, for example, when we decide we are not going to preach, we will have a table talk at church on Sundays. That may not in and of itself be a sin or an evil like that. But then, you see, it's unbiblical. When God gives the way pe- that his people should worship, he grants that the word of God should be preached. And that's why the church from its inception has had men standing in front of the people, opening the Bible and preaching. Because that's what God has said. In this matter of death, we don't, Christians, 
as Christians we are not to invent ways of eh ati mimi nataka wife yangu akwe cremated akuange tu hapo kwa compound yangu nikitoka namuona nikitaka kumuona namuona or nataka nimchome alafu niende nimweke kwa si anim scatter around the earth everywhere i go if god grants me niende china nitakuwa najua wife yangu ako huko nikienda sijui because that's how people say now unless unless christians were martyred do we see them burning their their people and even where they were burnt at stake those ashes were taken and buried because that's that's the way people that the people of god have done it in the past and especially because god says from the dust you came and to dust you return now that has a literal that is literal in a sense because when god says when when god tells uh, adam that out of the ground you were taken he's in a sense speaking to him literally god alichukua dust aka from adam na anamwambia you came from the ground and to the ground you will return so uh, the bible tells us how to do it and as believers we don't want to be uh, we don't want to be creative with the things of god we want to do things the way god says we should do them It's well, true. It's answer. true. <laughs> because it's true. Because that there's, there's those people who donate their body for study. Yes. There's also people who donate their organs to so that like I'm silent me so that if I die, I am donating. I am an organ donor. So you guys can take my heart if it's healthy, if it's my lungs, my whatever organs will be healthy when I die can be donated to people who need them. Yes. So I wanted to know how biblical and God with that is so you can continue then okay. in addition to that then mm. uh, maybe it's linked to that um i i feel like i don't know whether it's just our traditions uh, people put too much weight or emphasis mm. on the body like for example the body if it's not buried is not at rest so when we lay to the ground dress okay yeah that's yeah. type of language yeah. Yeah. or the person has to be buried at home mm-hmm. so that arrest Uh, and my question was then how 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 do we as christians think about that um considering uh, at times me myself i just see i mean this is just a body I mean, the, mm. the soul is not there this mm. is just a body um so what's what's the biblical view of 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 that is it something that's biblical or is it something that what were metaphor from their traditions yeah 
people in the Old Testament were also believers, the point where they laid their, I think in Abraham, Abraham Jacob. Jacob, yes. they carried the bones of Joseph back to Israel. They, mm-hmm. they, 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 Jacob, they, at, Jacob, at his request, yes, yeah. at their request. Yeah. Yes. So you see that emphasis. Yeah. yeah. Um, perhaps I should say, and I will. I'll give. I'll give an opportunity for others who have comments on it to, to share them. Um, uh, let me just say first of all that as Christians, we want to be as biblical as possible, right? We don't want to. I think the problem with today's Christianity is that uh, people are. <laughs> people want to be to be overly creative at the expense of what God says. So, so that should be, that should first of all be on the table, that believers want to do what the scriptures uh, tell us. So that the, the, the matter of, uh, at your, I don't want to bury my, I, I don't want to bury my, my person at place X because of, I don't know what is not quite biblical because when we consider the whole matter of resurrection as we will be doing we will see that uh, I mean when Christ returns wherever the body will be it will be resurrected um, so if, if a missionary went to India and, they, and that's where they died they, they will be resurrected from wherever they were um, uh, now we should also say that as Christians, we don't want to minimize the importance of any one part of this person that we call the human being. So God made the body, and it is important. It's not. A, I'm not sure how you doctors view it, but it's, it's not just a. It's not just dead meat. It's not just a nothing. It's it's a body of a person, and it should be viewed like that, uh, rightly. And then the soul as well is a soul, is a man's soul. So that the Bible tells us that the soul is going to be united to the body. And so both of them are important. Um, uh, yes, I think the matter of organ donation is a bit more complex. So, so that now... Uh, when we're talking about the donating of organs, we, we step into matters of ethics and matters of uh, Christian liberty. Um, so that I know, really, that me, I mean, if, if you consider who I am, it's not this arm. I might as well do without this arm. This arm is not who I am. I know that. And so, uh, because of that, then an argument may be made that my heart is not who I am. When I die, if my heart can help someone, you can take it and give it to someone else. That doesn't take away from the fact that uh, my body is my body. I mean, it's, it's, it's as, you know, we may think of it as uh, if an accident happens, and then, and then, this part of my body starts in the kuwaza. And as doctors, you do everything that you can, but I was a kind of part in a fight. 
ni baki tu poa ndio ni si i don't know ndio ni siku amputated the whole arm uh, i mean sitakatwa tu na hii itaenda tu so with that argument someone may someone may say when i am dying it's better off when my heart is taken to help someone else live longer because i mean if i die the heart will will rot and it will dissipate or whatever whatever happens to it and so i don't know whether you get that argument so that a part of my body may be taken for for use if need be because again one might argue that god has given us uh, god gave us brains so that they may be used so if we use our brains uh, for the for the advancement of life or preservation of life then we are not doing evil now someone else might argue that even if you know let's assume that it was an evil to take someone's eye <laughs> and give it to someone else let's assume that ingekuwa ni evil in ethics there is a uh, there is an argument of the lesser evil right sindio nika nika venye tukienda ku vote i mean it's not a must that we have a christian president but tunaweza angalia huyu ni mhalifu zaidi kuliko huyu so we tutavotia huyu mwenye is less evil than this one and the same principle may be used if it's an evil thing to take my heart and give it to someone else if the bible would have said that it is evil then of course we would we would leave it but because if it's a matter of ethics and it being a matter of ethics someone else might think it's evil then if it is then we decide to take the lesser evil the lesser evil being taking the heart of the dead man <laughs> and giving it to someone else who might live so that we might preserve their life um that that's that's how i would i would argue about your matter uh, organ transplant i don't know what others others think about it i think on the matter of um, of uh, cremation as well as emphasis on how a person ought to be buried or where they ought to be buried emphasis on where a person ought to be buried i think it's just mixed up with our african tradition traditional beliefs i think um um there, there should be let me say there should be respect to to the dead there should be the respect given to the body that is dead uh, because as a christian you're acknowledging that that body will rise one day isn't it that body is not is not just like a piece of paper that is going to be destroyed and go away everyone from adam to the last person who will be born will one day resurrect and if you really believe it then there should be some kind of respect to our body and to the body of the dead as well that uh, that uh, the, as, as god has promised this body is going to be resurrected those who believe in cremation there are those who do not believe in resurrection 
and they were saying, let's cremate these people so that they will not resurrect. Uh, but uh, but uh, everyone who is dead, whether cremated or not, will one day rise. Adam, for instance, is Akokomchanga Mahali, isn't it? Because he's <laughs> totally decomposed. But he will resurrect on that day when Christ returns. Mm. <coughs> Wait, is cremation uh, burning? Mm. Wait, but that's not what I was referring to. Mm. Eh? In it, Raji? Embalm. When you don't burn the body, you don't bury it, but you. Nikau ne preserve. No, embalming is using chemicals to preserve it mm. for a time. But kuna ile nye kama Kenyatta. Yes. Kenyatta lifanyoni. Yes, embalming. There's a name. Yes. Because if you wanted to see Kenyatta, you you can go there and you see him. Uh, Yeah. Is there any other question or comment? Yes, we will. We are going to deal with that shortly. So we've seen that the bodies. So where do people go when they die? Their bodies are take are buried. They go. They return to the dust, and then their souls, which neither die nor sleep, because they are immortal. They have an immortal subsistence. God created them like that to live forever. They immediately return to to God, who gave them. Perhaps I should also have said that the atheist claim that when we die, that's the end of it, is foolish. It's a foolish thing because not only are they claiming to infinite knowledge, right? They claim it's as though they know what happens to people when they die. Uh, it's also that they are making a, a very presumptuous claim in the sense that uh, they know nothing of the composition of a human so that whatever happens when the human dies, whatever was preserving him, let's say someone dies of old age and then he just loses breath. Whatever has lost what the Christian calls the soul, now to the atheist is nothing. Whatever that is for them, they cannot say where it went. And so when they claim, they, they are making a very foolish presumption when they say that when someone dies, uh, it's over. There's nothing else. Um, now, we, our claim is not a proud claim and our claim is not self, self-thought self out. Uh, if you understand what that means. It's, it's not as though we came up with this, this whole matter of life and death and the body and soul. And No, our claim 
is based upon the word of God. And that's where we always have to go as believers. It's the word of God that governs everything that we believe, even this matter of life and death. Then you're told there, the souls of the righteous. Now we are now asking the second question. Where do the souls of the Christians go? Where do Christians go when they die? The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into paradise, where they are with Christ and behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. Now we have a couple of things there. Now let me first begin by underscoring the whole doctrine of justification that we have just recently considered. When he says the souls of the righteous, these who are righteous are only so because God has justified them. They are called the just in the book of Hebrews, as we're going to see, the righteous ones, because God has made them righteous through the activity of Christ in paying for their sins and they believing upon him. So they are not necessarily righteous because they do good things or they do righteous things. They are necessarily righteous or they, the souls of the righteous go back to God because God justified them. God, by his grace, gave them salvation in Jesus Christ. That's why they are righteous. They're not righteous because one do it to poor. Now, this is important because of the doctrine of the Catholics of uh, purgatory and because of their doctrine of uh, salvation. The Catholics believe that uh, there's a place called purgatory. When you die, unenda pale. We will see that uh, a, bit, a bit later. But then, what unenda pale, or people go there so that good things can be done or money can be given so that their souls may be taken from there to heaven. Uh, but then they also believe that while here on earth, we can do good things so much so as to earn our place in heaven. The Bible teaches the complete opposite, that our good works are like filthy rags before God. And the only way we are accepted before the Holy God is by believing upon His Son and receiving that righteousness that is foreign and you know, belong to Jesus Christ. So the Christian is essentially righteous, and you understand when I use the word essential, essentially righteous because they have a righteousness in Yamtumungine, the righteousness of Christ. So when he says that they are the souls of the righteous, it's talking about those who have been made righteous by God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be seen so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's why then our souls become righteous. So the souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, so the souls of the righteous, what, what will happen to them after they die? They are made perfect. The Christian, when he dies, forgets all the pain. He leaves behind all the sin, all the unholiness, all the unrighteousness, all the sicknesses, all the flaws and mistakes and terrible things that sin has granted this world the soul of the righteous is made perfect. It's perfected. Immediately they die. Their soul enters into glory. 
they no longer know anything of unholiness. They are made perfect in holiness. We will see this from the passages that we are given there. And then we are told that they are received into paradise. When the, when the Christian dies, it's not only that his soul is immediately made perfect unto holiness, it's also that he is received into the presence of God, what Jesus calls paradise. They go to heaven. They go to be with God. And the Bible sometimes calls it Abraham's bosom. And then uh, uh, they are made perfect in holiness. They are received into paradise where they are with Christ and behold the face of God in light and glory. The Christian becomes holy forever and ever when he dies. The Christian goes uh, to paradise that place that we call heaven in the presence of God. And the Christian, the Christian soul, goes to be with Christ. You're going to see that. That's what the Bible says. He goes to be with Christ. Those who are the elect of God, when they die, their soul goes to be with Christ. They go to behold the face of God. Now, beholding the face of God there is not literal because God does not have a face. It's a, it's a, um, <clears throat> it's what it's an anthropomorphic uh, uh, description, uh, which which grants God human qualities when He doesn't have them, or, or or human physical features. So when the Bible says that Moses was was with God face to face, it's not saying that that he face ya Moses ilikuana face ya Mungu. It's it's only telling us that. Uh, he had this intimate relationship with God that no man in the face of the earth had, had ever had. And so, <clears throat> when you're told there that they will be with Christ and they will behold the face of God in light and glory, we have to, to understand that it's, it's that we will be with Christ. Of course, Christ has a body and we will, we will, be, we will have that absolute communion with God, that intimate relationship with God in in his light and in his glory. And then the last thing that we're told there is that this soul, now because it has not yet been united to the body which we have laid to the ground, has hope, is hoping, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. It's waiting to be united and perfected with the body that has been laid to the ground the moment Christ comes back for his people. Now let's consider the texts that have been given us there. Luke chapter 23. Now the please notice that the these cults that teach soul soul sleep um these cults which teach soul sleep um Yeah, are they are uh, they are careless about the matter of uh, they are careless about some passages of scripture that we are given. So in Luke twenty three, are given Luke Luke twenty three, verse forty three. Someone read for us Luke twenty three forty three. And he said to him. Truly I say to you, 
today you will be with me in paradise so the sda dances around this text and you know what some sdas have the audacity to say that when jesus tells the thief on the left that today you will be with me in paradise that today is not today today is metaphoric uh, and and when they when they do that they don't realize the the errors and the heresies that they are they are now wanting to get into because if jesus says that today you will be with me in paradise when he when today does not mean today it's also that him uh, it's also that his soul slept and it's also that his soul was not with god now i'm not going to venture so much into the whole matter of what they what they say today means but i mean the plain reading of that passage you have christ being crucified you have two thieves one two thieves one on the uh, right and one on the left the thief on the right is uh, mocking really is mocking jesus is telling him bana remove us from this situation so you said you are the son of god get us out of this the thief on the left tells him Ebana, be careful who you are speaking to. This person has not done any mistake. He's not like us. We are here because we deserve it. He is here not because he deserves it. And then he tells him, he turns to him and tells him, "Please remember me when you come into your kingdom." And Jesus tells him, "I tell you truly." Now, if you've heard us preaching any passage from the uh, gospels, and there is a place where jesus has said truly what have we said that means <laughs> it means <laughs> it's truly it's truly truly very very it's it, it's the things that jesus say are important but when jesus says truly truly it's more important it is of utmost importance so consider with me that god god does uh, uh, god does not say anywhere in his in his bible that he is love 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 or that he is mercy 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 that's what our arsis prol says but what what attribute of god is elevated to the third degree holiness god says he is holy 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 and what theologians have have said is that that might as well mean holy holier holiest so when jesus says truly or truly truly he's saying this is scary i'm telling you i am assuring you so when this dia says that today is not today they're not only lying about the today they're also doing a, an injustice to the words of jesus when he says truly i say to you today you will be with me in paradise the soul of the christian immediately he dies goes to be with christ that's what we are to see next he goes to paradise then he goes to be with christ second corinthians please second corinthians chapter 5 you wonder what these cultic groups believe when they read texts which are so clear like second corinthians chapter 5 
in Second Corinthians chapter 5, this is what we read. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, now the Apostle Paul is talking about the body, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. In the tent there is the body. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be farther clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, now we know that the tent means the body. While we are at home with the body, we are away from the Lord. So while we are here on earth, in other words, we are away from the Lord. And then we are told in verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. The faith that we walk by is that while we are away from, uh, while you are away from the Lord, we are present in the body. Or while you are present with the body, we are, we are away from the Lord. That's the faith that we have. That to kiwauku, Atuna, atukona God, although Verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Where else does the Apostle Paul say this? In the Bible. Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verse uh, 19 forward. So he says. Uh, Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due uh, for, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We will see that later on in the, in the next chapter about judgment. But what we have here is clear that when we are away from the body, where are we? We are with the Lord. We are with Christ. We are where Christ is. We are at home. That's what the apostle says. Implying that this, this world really is not our home. We will be at home with the Lord. You see the brilliance of our, the writers of our profession. We are with Christ. We behold the face of God in, in light. We are with him there. Actually the text that... We are, we are referring to has been given us there. Philippians chapter 1 verse 23. So that when we are here, we are away from the Lord. When we are not here, we are with the Lord if we are Christians. Philippians chapter 1. Someone read for us verse 22 to verse 23. Philippians 1.22 If I am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which I shall choose I cannot tell I am hard pressed between the two my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better You see there that uh, when we depart from this body if we are Christians we go to be with Christ we go to live with him for all eternity. One last text that has been given us there. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 
12, yes, chapter 12 and verse 23. Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> let me read from verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Now that's a reference to... Uh, the souls of the righteous being made perfect in holiness. Immediately the Christian dies, their soul is made perfect in holiness. Is there any question or comment before we move on? So we've asked the question, where do people go when they die? We've seen that their bodies are buried. Their souls go to their creator. God. And then we, we, we've asked the question, where do the souls of the Christian go when they die? Their souls go, uh, they, they immediately go into the presence of God. They are immediately made perfect. They immediately go to paradise. They, are, they immediately go to be with Christ. And they wait for the full redemption of, of their bodies. And then now we are asking the question, if no one has a comment or a question there, let's ask the question, where do non-Christians go when they die? Where do the souls of the non-Christian go when they die? We're told there, the confession, and the souls of the wicked are cast into hell. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. When non-Christians die, my friends, they go to hell immediately. Now, this is one of the this is one of the terrible doctrines that we have in the Bible. When I say terrible, I mean terrifying. This is one of the most uh, hard doctrines that the Bible gives us. That when non-Christians die, they immediately go to hell. This is a sad, a sad reality. It's an unfortunate thing that immediately their souls uh, are cast into hell. And they remain there in torment 
and utter darkness, reserved the judgment of the great day. I mean, I don't think I have better words for this. When people die, they go to hell. Their bodies are buried, we bury them, but their souls, their souls perish for all eternity. And the, the, the worst thing is that that's just the beginning of it. When their bodies are united to their souls, they will continue to be tormented forever and ever. Let's read Jude. Jude is the second last book of the Bible. Jude 6 and 7. Someone read for us Jude 6 and 7. Have you ever seen that text? Surely you've read it, right? And it says, verse 7, sorry, verse 6, the angels who are, who are kicked out of, out of uh, the presence of God with the devil, what happens to them? They are kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And then verse 7 tells us, just as Sodom and Gomorrah. And that just as is very important there. Because what, what uh, we are told there is that uh, these people of Sodom and Gomorrah are now being tormented like those angels who left their proper place. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Those people that were, were burnt in Sodom and Gomorrah, we are told here that they are now in hell. When the judgment of God fell on them when they were here on earth, they immediately went to hell and they are now perishing there. When sinners die, my friends, when the non-Christian dies, and I, I use the term non-Christian very deliberately because non-Christian includes anyone and everyone who is not a Christian. Christianity claims exclusivity. Christianity is not ecumenical. We, we don't believe that... Uh, at Sijui, Muslims and Buddhists and Shintoists and Hindus, at this Buddha, the same God. No, no, we don't believe that we worship the same God. Christianity says we worship the true God. 
the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one from whom and through whom and to whom are all things. That's what Christianity claims. And so when someone is not a Christian, when they do not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us they go to hell immediately when they die. Their soul, when we bury their body, and we are there saying how good of a person they were, eh? we don't want to, to tarnish their name now that they have died. Unfortunately, they are burning in hell. Sad thing. What other text are we given there? First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. Someone read for us verse 18 and 19. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey God, and God's patience uh, waited in the days. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, now, uh, this text has been given by the writers of the confession, uh, but if you know, if you know the difficult texts in the Bible, this is one of them. This is one of them. But, but I'm bringing it up because the writers of the confession, interestingly, use this to say that uh, when people die, their souls go to that prison that we call hell forever and ever. Now, whatever it means that... Uh, uh, Jesus went to proclaim to the spirits in prison that's the difficulty of the matter so, so that, that one we, we can't claim to understand or even know the meaning but the matter the, 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 the point, the, the matter at hand is that uh, these spirits are in prison they are imprisoned in this place that we call hell and the last text is, is a famous parable in the gospel of Luke Luke chapter 16. This is the one that we will, we will finish, finish with before we consider the last question. Luke chapter 16. In Luke 16 we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And you know it. Um, it shows that the rich man is enjoying his things here on earth. Lazarus is a poor man. The implication is that a rich man is unbeliever. Lazarus is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 22, we are told, the poor man died. This poor man is Lazarus. And was carried by the angels into Abraham's side. Now that Abraham's side there, Abraham's bosom, is what we say it can also be called heaven or paradise the rich man also died and was buried verse 23 and in Hades being in torment 
he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Those words are very important because when Jesus is giving this story, we are not to assume that he is giving, up, giving us a made-up idea, a made-up story. Now, whether this is a parable or a real story, the fact of the matter is, Jesus, whether he's using an example or, or he's telling us something that is actual, he can't lie to us, right? So he, he tells us that the rich man also died, and when he died... While he was buried, his soul was in torment, in Hades, being in torment. That's why he's saying, for I am in anguish in this flame. Let me get a drop of water. Hmm? Is there any question or comment? There? Last question. Yes? Sorry, sorry. You're just going to, you, you will ask. I, I thought you had concluded, so I'm glad you've said the last question. Last question, yes. <clears throat> so we've asked, where do people go when they die? And we say that their bodies are buried in the ground. They go, they return to the dust which they came from. And then their souls go to their maker, God who gave them. And then we've asked, where do the souls of the righteous go. Where do Christians, the souls of the Christians, go when they die? We have said that their souls are made perfect in holiness. They know nothing of the sin that they knew when they were here on earth. They are received into paradise. They go to be with Christ. They commune with God. They behold the face of God in light and glory. And they wait for the full redemption of their bodies. Then we've asked, where do the souls of the non-Christians Go when they die. We've seen there, their souls go to hell. They are cast into hell. They remain there in torment, utter darkness. They are reserved to the judgment of the great day. They stay there until judgment day. Now lastly, is there any other place where uh, people go when they die? Is there any other place that the souls of men go when they die? Of course, we know that the body goes to the ground. Is there any other place that the souls of men goes when they die other than heaven or hell? The confession grants that besides these two places, and the two places there are heaven and hell, for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledgeth none. The Bible, at least in the 66 books that we have, does not acknowledge that people go anywhere else. Catholics may want to claim purgatory 
as much as they as much as they like but that is not true the bible doesn't grant it the sdas we want to claim that the souls of people are in limbo they are dormant they are sleeping if you will but they have completely misunderstood what the bible means when when it says that when someone dies they sleep there's no other place that people go apart from heaven or hell now for us who are christians it's a comforting consideration that uh, we will go to heaven my friends when christ comes back if we will be dead we will have been with him if we die before christ comes back we go to be with him now the hymn that we sang um as we were beginning a debtor to mercy alone please help me that hymn book that hymn that we sang a debtor to mercy alone the hymn writer was uh, absolutely spot on when he said this my name from the palms of his hands eternity will not erase impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace yes i to the end shall endure as sure as the earnest is given more happy but not more secure the glorified spirits in heaven they are more happy because they are with christ they are more happy because they no longer have sin they are more happy because there is no more pain no more tears there are no problems difficulties they are more happy because especially they are they, they relate with god face to face now they are not more secure because we who are on earth are justified just like they are we know christ just like they do but they are more happy because they are not in this sin ravaged world another hymn that we sang there 801 um jerusalem my happy home um granted us that uh, apostles prophets martyrs are there around the savior's stand and soon we who are here below we who are in christ here below we will join that glorious band when we die we will meet with them we will praise god with them if you are to die today dear saint you will go to heaven you go to be with christ you will be made perfect in holiness you will be ushered into the presence of god by the angels the angels who carried lazarus to abraham's bosom and this is <laughs> with the same intensity that hell is terrifying to the sinners who will die in, uh, like that uh, with that same intensity should we be joyful that we will be with god once we die and this is the thing that we should constantly think about what will happen to me when i die what will happen to you when you die 
so that if our trust is not in Jesus Christ or if our trust in Christ is wavering thinking about this whole matter that we are right now should should make us stop wavering stop doubting stop wondering because if you were to die tonight in your sleep and you have Christ you will go to be with God you will be with him now it's also this 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 matter is also important because it shows the urgency of evangelism we must reach reach out to the lost we must tell our family members my friends if you think about death your family member who does not know Christ is going to die and go to hell and so because of this then we are to quickly bring the gospel to those who are near and dear to us our neighbors our friends our uh, our schoolmates our colleagues the people that we are constantly interacting with we are to bring the gospel to them because this my friends is urgent this is urgent news if it is true yeah, or, or or rather because it is true we should bring the gospel to others with urgency we are not only to delight in the fact that when we die we will go to heaven to be with Christ we should want as many people as possible to hear this message and to come to faith in Jesus Christ okay let me allow for a few questions before we finish is there any any of those things that is not uh, not clear any any question or comment interesting from the passage in Luke that um, it does show us that when people are in hell they do remember the kind of life they lived while on earth uh, Abraham says verse 25 but Abraham said child remember remember that in your lifetime in your lifetime received your good things that um, mm-hmm. those who are in hell will remember how they disobeyed God how they did not honor him how did they not repent of their sins mm. and th- and that and those memories will be a source of their eternal torture mm. because they will be in pain forever and ever mm. um, yeah it is it's such a sad doctrine really when you try to when you try to think of it that their eternal destiny is is fixed Uh, there is no hope there is no hope for them it's just like the devil isn't it the, dev- the, the, the eternal destiny of the evil one is already fixed he can't be saved mm. the same case with those who will be cast in hell mm. yeah 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 it does show us there that uh, that torment is conscious mm. it's not a torment that at the, it will only start being painful once the once their bodies are united to their souls it's a conscious torment and it will only get worse when their bodies are uh, united to their souls 
Could you talk talk about uh, glorified bodies? What will they look like? Um, we will consider that in the next. Uh, okay. The next yeah. next paragraphs. So let's keep that for next time. element which we call the soul the spirit <laughs> the people now attribute it to the brain right so that well there's no brain when the person is brain um, I see how that is very pagan in its origin or very evolutionary biology mm. in its meaning but it's a thing that especially people who work in the ICU like myself encounter everything. Mm. Where you have someone whose heart is beating but there is no brain activity. So by definition we by by what we are taught is that this person is dead. And you treat them as if they are dead. Mm. So whether they are organs now you can take their organs can take their liver, you can take their heart, mm. you can take anything that you want because this person is dead. But their heart is beating. Right? So on its own. It's beating on its own. It's beating on its own. Without machines, without without machines. Okay. The heart oftentimes is beating on its own. The the machine comes in because these people can't breathe. So essentially they can't breathe by themselves. So they are being breathed for by the machine beyond your life support so they are not alive yes so they so they are not the heart is not beating by itself but the heart is beating the heart is beating in isolation if you stop if you stop the machine the heart will stop beating the heart will beat for some minutes or for some minutes for some minutes until the oxygen runs out and then it stops Okay. It won't stop immediately. Okay. It's not that this machine is connected to the heart, and once you stop the ukizima steamer, the heart Zima Im- okay. yeah. So it's just that this person is not breathing. It's the brain that that signals the person to, to breathe, breathe, but they their brain exactly. is dead. So because there are yes, there are certain injuries that people have. Kuna vileuneza kongo or you take some drugs like. Uh, what you hear people saying opioids mm. fentanyl mm. and people overdose on those things is because you take too much and your body stops breathing the, 
the drugs tell the brain to tell the lungs to stop breathing. And that's how they die. So essentially when you receive that person in the ICU, they are not breathing, but they are alive. Their brain is still active. So if you put them in a machine and the drugs wear out, they start breathing. So they are not dead, if you get what I'm trying to say. But the question lies in, in that um, um, ambiguity or ambiguous area. Um, because when I read it in myself, it seems like it's, it's, it's simplifying life to brain activity. Mm. If you get what I'm saying. Mm. If there's no brain activity, then this person is, is dead. So it's not just death, the heartbeat. Mm. So I don't know what the Bible has to speak towards that because we encounter it every day. And the moment we have those questions, that question still comes to my mind. Is it that I'm simply attributing life to to brain activity? Okay. Let me let me let me finish with a word of prayer and then we talk about it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the things that we have considered. Thank you for your mercies in allowing us to be able to learn much about the intermediate state. May you help us to be able to understand this matter, even the resurrection of the dead, as we continue to consider the, 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 the next paragraphs, paragraph 2 and 3 in that chapter. We pray that you may keep us from error. We pray that you may uh, sanctify us by your truth, for your word is truth. We pray that you may help us to be eager about these things because we love the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would love his, his, his word and uh, everything about him. As we continue to deal with difficult matters, even uh, those that are ethical, pray that you may guide us into all truth, grant us much wisdom the way we deal with these things so that we may bring utmost glory to your name. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.